the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Mark Florka. With 45 years of industry experience, Mark knows the ins and outs of baking. He is Bakerpedia's community forum manager and baking instructor. He's here to share knowledge and help you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked In Science Podcast. Hello, everyone. In this episode of Baked In Science, I'm chatting with Chadwick White of Nepra Foods. This is a fascinating conversation, and I hope you will enjoy it as much as I did. This podcast is brought to you by Enzyme Innovation. Plant SEB protein is Enzyme Innovation's neutral tasting, odorless vegan protein. Derived from mung beans, it boasts a robust amino acid profile for fortification of your baked goods. To learn more, call 909-203-4620 or visit enzymeinnovation.com. Well, hi, everybody. I have a very illustrious guest with us here today, and I'm sure many of you have heard his name before, and he's accomplished a lot in our industry. And here he is, Chadwick White. Uh, welcome, Chadwick. Hi, Mark. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Wonderful. You know, the first thing I wanted to hit off, Chadwick, is like, as I mentioned, you're to me, you're quite illustrious and you've had a lot of experience. You've been in the industry for a very long time. You're a certified master baker. As I always like to say, you've, you've been around the block a couple of times, right? Yeah. Can you share with us sort of an introduction of your background and how that evolved into Nepra Foods, which is what we're going to talk about some more? So I've been in the industry 35 years. I got certified as a master baker in 1998. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a conventional baker. I considered myself an artisan bread baker and I love to pastry chef. So I've had, you know, lots of jobs throughout the industry in big hotels, country clubs, small retail bakeries, big wholesale bakeries, kind of run every aspect of it. It seems like we have a lot in common there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. In 2001, I was given an opportunity to move to Denver, Colorado, and worked as the production manager for Il Fornaio in their artisan bread bakery. Mm-hmm. In 2003, about two years later, I ended up opening up a small retail bakery in Castle Rock, Colorado. Mm-hmm. That featured, you know, artisan breads and fine pastry. It's really a nice little spot. During the course of operating that business, I was introduced to a woman named Anne-Marie DeMuth. Mm-hmm. And Anne-Marie, she was a fascinating person. She had severe food allergies. And she actually was the person responsible for getting yellow dye number five taken out of Cheerios. And I've said this on, on in other interviews. I, I, I bring her up all the time because for a couple of reasons. Number one, just to talk about what an amazing woman she was, mm-hmm. an amazing person. But then also she changed the course of my career. Mm-hmm. The introduction that she made regarding allergen-free baked goods and, and the free from market was truly impactful. 
And I immediately started formulating products for the gluten-free space. And her daughter, who was my age, Karen, she was a celiac. And Mm -hmm. so she had given me a loaf of bread from a gluten-free bakery at the time. It was not good. It was a poorly made pound cake is what Mm -hmm. it was, (laughs) trying to pass as a sandwich bread. Yeah. Very crumbly and dry. I told Karen, I said, I think we can do better. And so I started putting together some formulations Fast forward a few years, I was trying to find partners to bring these products to market. I eventually got in touch with Udi and Itai Baron, and we launched a company called Udi's Gluten-Free Foods. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a fantastic experience. Four years after we started that company, we sold it to Boulder Brands. Later, Pinnacle bought it, and now ConAgra owns it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a couple of years that I, you know, I had a non-compete and was really kind of during that time formulating my next venture. So shortly after 2016, uh, I formed a company called Gluten-Free Baking Solutions. Mm -hmm. And really the goal there was to try to bring better nutrition and formulation to the gluten-free space and really the greater allergen-free space. We partnered with a starch chemist. His name's Alan Caldwell. He lives in Thailand. We started developing ingredients that had very high levels of functionality and better nutrition. We've really been concentrating on that market for a very long time. We had another company, a couple of companies really that we had started. One was a sprouting and malting company. Again, the idea was that by sprouting the grains, you're improving the bioavailability of the nutrients. Mm -hmm. And then the malting was an aspect of that that we were interested in developing some big flavors Mm -hmm. uh, in some of those grains. Our other company was a blending company. We would do custom formulations for companies globally, and then we would produce a blend for them that they could then take Ah, and and run into production. That was all going very well, but we, we saw an opportunity in hemp. I've long been a hemp proponent. And really, the reason for my interest initially in hemp is that the protein is incredibly high functioning, amazing functionality. We really started dissecting the seed, taking it apart, understanding every one of its components and utilizing them for various purposes. The culmination of which is this egg replacer that we're currently, you know, jumping into the marketplace with. Mm-hmm. Hemp forms the basis for that. I guess it was a little over a year ago. It was, it was actually a year ago, September 15th. We had an IPO. We took all of these companies and we formed them under one umbrella called Nepra Foods. It's actually Esperanto, which is a supranational language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a created language, the most widely created language spoken. And NEPRA itself means absolutely essential. We really look at NEPRA as providing an essential line of baking products for allergen-free, for the allergen-free space. That is really cool. That is very interesting. It tells so many pieces of what we so often talk about at Bakerpedia in that for starters, as an entrepreneur, you can't do it all on your own. You have to understand what your limitations are and reach out for the right kind of expertise to support your goals, right? And so you don't give anything up, you get it supported. It's like building a building, right? You got to have all the the structure in place. Through all of this, what I also use the common thread, as you talked about, Anne Devereaux, is that, you know, this common thread of your passion towards allergen-free, allergen reduction, better health in many, many different ways. And that, you know, if you allow your passions to guide you, 
that really helps move you forward in the right direction. That's so absolutely. much. Absolutely. Right? And yeah, in Esperanto, I'm aware of it. I don't speak it or anything. It was at one time hailed to become the world language of politics right. and business. And, and I guess they just couldn't quite get it off the ground, right? But it is the most widely spoken made up language, as you, as you have said. And there's for years, there's always been talk of, is it going to be Spanish? Is it going to be Mandarin? You know, and, and English is still the dominant one so far. <laughs> Lucky for me, because so, um, I don't think German ever will be. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing, right? And so with Nepro Foods, like you mentioned, the IPO, and the past two years, you know, a lot of us have been struggling with the, the pandemic and things like that. And I was glancing through some of the news releases on your website and stuff, and you guys have been pretty busy the last couple of years. You've had a lot going yes. on. It's really interesting. When the pandemic first hit, obviously there was that that initial shutdown. Mm-hmm. But as we kind of entered into that phase, my business really took off. It seemed like everyone wanted to start jumping into R&D projects, take mm-hmm. that time to, yep. to kind of divert their efforts. And so my travel increased almost tripled really wow. my business and and just the the amount of work that we had on our plate significantly increased and likewise our efforts internally did as well we made some major milestones in breaking apart the hemp seed and understanding some of its parts and based off of those learnings we're really able to advance a lot of what we're doing that's fantastic the other thing i noticed is that you have a lot of different categories that you have separated things out into, like you have food service and bakery and so on. Also, a lot of different varieties of things. So what kind of came first for you? Can you tell us a bit about how that developed? Like, did you guys start out of the gate? We need to create categories or did you have all these varieties and then see that you had to sort of shuttle them into categories somehow, right? The first thing that we discovered, obviously, we had our other starch blends and our flowers and Mm -hmm. and things like that. And so, again, we were looking at hemp as a possible solution to really bring that allergen-free product development full circle as an egg replacer first. And then as a means of bolstering the nutrition in some of these formulations, you know, hemp being amazing, it's got all 20 amino acids uh, in the protein complex, and it's very high in arginine and and glutamine. So... Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of benefit there. But then you've got, you know, the functional aspect of it. You know, you look at egg whites, it's egg whites are generally speaking 75% albumin, 25% globulins. Mm -hmm. Hemp's the opposite, 75% globulin, 25% albumins. And and those proteins function very similarly to their egg counterparts. So it goes a long way to acting the same way as an egg white. Learning from that understanding came a whole host of other products. We realized that with the glutamine content that we could hydrolyze the hemp and and create some really amazing umami flavors. Mm -hmm. And so we make a hemp amino. We discovered that the foaming capacity was great for making meringues. and and I wanted to ask you about that because that was kind of your LinkedIn post that really, you know, drove us to like, wow, we really got to talk to Chadwick about this because we've seen so much about the aquafaba things and stuff like that, that kind of can make a meringue. I, I always say kind of because it's not particularly stable and it takes a very long time to get there. You've hit the nail on the head. It's like you've looked at the underlying proteins really as the functionality of it. And that is really going a long way so that you can just simply whip this mixture to make a meringue then. 
Yeah, it's a softer meringue. It's not as stiff as an egg white. But mm. then again, you understand that the albumin is a lower percentage value, you know, and it makes sense. What's interesting is that, yes, it'll foam. You have this great whipping ability. The proteins then will coagulate and form a stable meringue post-bake, whereas like mm-hmm. aquafaba and some of these other alternatives don't really afford that that luxury. They'll collapse. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. So what we found in baking is that in many cases where you're replacing egg white, you can use less hemp because of the greater percentage of globulins. And then the nature in which they coagulate, they gel at a much higher temperature, 165 to 170 degrees, which in gluten-free baking is interesting because you can get some good expansion on the starches and then you'll set your structure, you know, into the bake. That's a big part of the problem in gluten-free baking with with egg whites and things like that is that it starts setting long before you have enough volume. So they try to overcome that by turning it into a liquid batter in hopes that it can expand more before the exactly. eggs can bind it all and stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Wow, that's really cool. That's a lot of interesting stuff. We've talked a little bit about, you've already touched on, is like the health benefits of hemp. I mean, I remember it was about 1998, I wrote an article for a bakery magazine about the health benefits of hemp and hemp flour. I didn't know as much about amino acids back then. I was still sort of learning my osmotic food science knowledge, sort of, but I was well aware of the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acid balance, which are, we hear people so often saying essential fatty acids. And it's true, like the term nepra, these are essential. Our body cannot synthesize these, and they are needed to digest and further uh, other nutrients and like get stuff into our muscles and everything else like that. And so tell us a little bit more, like you mentioned some of the amino acid structures and stuff like that. So what are the other benefits of hemp as a nutritional component? You know, you're touching on the omega profile. It's got that ideal ratio of omega sixes to threes. You know, it's really important. Fats are factually one of the most important nutrients in our diet having Mm -hmm. they perform cellular functions you know they act as doorways to the cell so it's imperative that we have those fats at the right ratios so there's definitely that aspect of it as a matter of fact our hemp heart flour we make a flour in-house that we de-hull the hemp first we take the heart and we cold press it And we don't use the traditional screw presses. We actually use a different type of press Mm -hmm. and we keep the pressure very low, as low as possible. And we keep the temperature very, very cool at the same time. And we make what we call an extra virgin hemp oil. So it's a golden oil. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's a golden oil. It's got amazing flavor. It's very shelf stable too, which Mm -hmm. is remarkable. It tends to last a very long time. I worked for uh, many years with ADM. They do also provide or have hemp seeds or hemp hearts available as a product. It's through a division of theirs when they bought uh, commodity specialties. But as the the name of the division sort of indicates, they basically purchase and resell commodities. So ADM is not a grower of hemp or anything like that. They don't actually process it. And so that was the issue in terms of I didn't have access to hemp flour or hemp oil. It was something they were starting to look at. And of course, the way soybean oil is extracted and stuff is is not going to work for hemp seed because of the sensitivity of the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. They have just too many 
oxidative sites. And so what you're talking about, these gentle cold pressing, I'll call it, that's the key thing because then if you treat it without harming it during the extraction process, then you can obtain that shelf life. Otherwise, you've already started to oxidize it just that's by right. trying to process it, right? Yeah. Wow, so that's amazing. So you guys have created or developed, helped develop other technologies and, and stuff as well. And that's really awesome. So that for foods in that sense, going back to like categories and stuff is that it's not like with Udi's, the people were familiar primarily with gluten-free breads and things like that. And while you do have products like that available, you guys sell ingredients that you actually create and blend or, or process and blends and mixes so that if I'm a baker wanting to work with something as an egg replacer, you have that available. That's right. Yep. And with our blends, we really concentrate on consistency. Within the gluten-free space, the gluten-free ingredient space, there's not a lot of consistency or control. A lot of the standardizations that we see, for instance, in wheat flour, we don't have those in gluten-free. So where in wheat flour, we'll control the enzyme content, the protein content, the damaged starch levels, mm -hmm. all these you know very important pieces you don't see that across the board in gluten-free. And so as a consequence, you try to buy one rice flour from company A and they're running short. You try to switch over to company B, you have to change your formula. <laughs> it's not as simple as just taking one out and dropping another in. A yeah. lot of R&D work that has to happen. Yeah, I've um, even experienced that with changing from batch to batch with the same company. I'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Enzyme Innovation. Plant SEB Protein is Enzyme Innovation's neutral-tasting, odorless, vegan protein. Derived from mung beans, it boasts a robust amino acid profile for fortification of your baked goods. To learn more, call 909-203-4620 or visit enzymeinnovation.com. And it makes sense too. I mean, rice is the perfect example for mm -hmm. this, this conversation because it's head rice that's been broken. So they take the brokens, they'll take those out and move them into a mill and reduce it to flour. So the damaged mm -hmm. starch levels are always different. Mm -hmm. Even within white rice, sometimes you'll get sprout damage yep. and your white rice will show a high enzyme content. And with brown rice, it's much worse. Of course, the bran layer is still containing much of those alpha amylases. So it can be really tricky. I'll just put a plug in here for our Baker Academy free uh, seminar series and things like that is that there was recently a seminar that's on video that can help bakers with that information where one of our baker ins uh, might have been Dr. Lin, uh, spoke with uh, KPM Analytics and they have developed processes to help bakers evaluate those ingredients because people are so familiar with things like you said with a farinograph or mixograph for wheat flour but there's other things that some of these instruments can be used for or other instruments that have already been created uh, like using use of the falling number and you know going to see what your enzyme activity is in the rice flour and stuff that's critical right yes. and if you don't have the money or the volume to purchase those instruments at least it gives you the knowledge and understanding if you want to send it to a lab 
what you're sending it to the lab for and what you can ask them to do for you, right? So this yes. is great that you bring that up is, is understanding you demonstrate how to use that knowledge to further your opportunities with these things, right? Right, exactly. And so those blends that we put together really concentrate on the consistency and standardization of the base ingredient. And so we've really done well at, at creating some essential blends. They're not the total 100% value of flowers they're intended to be used between 50 and 75% of the total flour. And that allows you to add your own ingredients on top to really personalize the formulations. But you can be assured that the base ingredients are going to perform the same way consistently yeah. time after time. That's great. Yeah. The personalization is still important today. Absolutely. So that everybody doesn't become a cookie cutter of each other sort of thing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and a lot of your products with these types of standardizations that you've been developing is not necessarily targeting that, but you have developed things that are higher in fiber and so on. So you end up being relatively low or lower in carbohydrates than most other comparative type blends. And so yes. are some of your things also like good for use for keto or keto friendly and things? Because that's like the hot topic these days. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, that's been probably at the top of our R&D schedule for the past year. Multiple companies approaching us for keto development. We actually developed an RS4, resistant starch type 4. Mm -hmm. RS4 is of course being chemically modified. They usually fall under, we don't use these here in the U.S., but they fall under two E numbers. They're both 1412s and 1413s. Mm -hmm. 1412s utilize a phosphorylated chloride. In the case of the product that we manufacture, it's a 1413 that utilizes trimetaphosphate and tripolyphosphate as the cross-linking mm -hmm. agents. Yeah. We find that we get higher levels of starch. It's a slower process than the 1412s, but we get a higher fiber content. And we get more consistency. So we produce a product that ends up being over 90% fiber from lot to lot with just a very small deviation. Whereas the 1412s, while they, they do work quite well, there's a little bit more of a fluctuation in the total fiber content. And the interesting thing with the RS4s in combination, where my head goes now, you talked about the protein combination of the hemp. It's the RS4s are much more functional than many other fibers. And so yes. in combination with the hemp, you have already there the solid foundation of a gluten-free flour that's starting in that sense, right? To give Absolutely. you some of that functionality. Right. Absolutely. You know, the RS4 does not gel. Mm -hmm. So it won't give you starch structure in the way that a traditional starch would. It truly is fiber. It's not bioavailable because it doesn't gel. It, it can't be absorbed or broken down by the body. It's truly a prebiotic fiber, yep. mm -hmm. you know, really supports the biome. Lots and lots of literature over the course of many decades that proves out not just the efficacy as a prebiotic, but really the safety of those types of products. Very, very low chemical residue and not absorbable. So really a helpful product when you really jump into it. When we combine that with our hemp protein, which builds a tremendous amount of structure, we're able to make gluten-free, allergen-free keto breads that have two slices, two 35-gram slices will only have two and a half total net carbs. Wow, that is so cool. So, right? And yeah. I'll bet you with the RS4 too, you don't get staling, you get a much better shelf life overall. That's right. That is fantastic. <laughs> it's actually kind of silly. We vacuum sealed some of these loaves and we got a 45-day ambient shelf life out of them. <laughs> 
You know, we were talking about the beginnings of you came into the allergen-free space and, and things like that. And, and you talked about the breads that you saw from your friend Anne's daughter. And it reminded me of when my early days of doing some work and supporting the milling business of ADM when I was in grocery stores and helping with uh, launching store openings and stuff. And people will come in for gluten-free bread. And I'm like, we're not making any gluten-free bread. And then, then the bakery manager goes, oh, yeah, I'll go get it. And they'd go get this brick out of the freezer, right? And I was like, <laughs> right. What is this? <laughs> and I actually bought one and took it home. And I thought, oh, my God, these poor people, they have to eat this as bread, right? It's like, yeah. and, you know, I was just starting to learn a lot about celiacs and stuff just out of interest because of someone I knew who had been diagnosed as celiac. And then I had neighbors where I lived in Illinois for 11 years. And the daughter and the father, both celiacs, and two boys and the mother were just fine. But, you know, the whole family basically eats gluten-free all the time. So anytime I had gluten-free samples, they were always very welcome. Right? It's incredible. You guys have accomplished so much. You have these mixes available. Do you sell them through food distributors or ingredient distributors of, of any particular kind? Or what is the best way we, for people to find your products? We sell direct. The vast majority of what we do is is sold by the container load. We manufacture primarily in Thailand, but also in India mm. and a couple other places. And then we'll import and usually drop ship those directly to the customer. We're getting more and more into providing complete blends. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a couple of projects today where we're developing some finalized blends that you could take and they would include just about everything you need. You would add just a couple of ingredients to them to have a final product. Primarily, we sell direct, you know, you reach out and contact us, but we also have a distribution partner in Canada oh. uh, that we sell through. Oh, so, excellent. That's really yeah. good. We also do some finished goods. We're jumping more and more into the CPG space, but we've been trying to send frozen samples overnight shipping up to Canada and they get caught every time. <laughs> yeah. Certain industries are protected, so to speak. That's where things get stuck, right? Um, anything with dairy, canola, stuff like that, anything that is grown or produced in, in Canada under different subsidies or lack of subsidies than there are in the US, that's right. where it all Always starts to find. And then, do you have any other pointers or tips that you could share with our audience as they embark into the space? Because, of course, things like keto, allergen free, gluten free, clean label, all of these things are very much on trend these days. They're no longer just fads. They are things that are everybody's dealing with to try and improve or expand their businesses. So what tips come to mind for you that you could pass on to bakers that you would say is important for them to look at as they venture into something like that? You know, there's so many different types of formulations possible with gluten-free. It's impossible to make a blanket statement, but I can tell you that at the top of the list for problems to look out for is enzyme activity. Mm -hmm. When you yeah. bake gluten-free, you are basically baking a starch matrix versus a gluten-based loaf where it's a protein matrix. Yep. And in doing so, the final structure of the bread is dependent upon the starch quality. Mm -hmm. And if you are administering enzymes or you are using a flour that perhaps has too high of an enzyme load, then you're destroying that structure and it's going to lead to waste. 
Yeah. And I've seen some waste numbers, it's going to sound insane, but as high as 40% oh in a production shift. <laughs> no wonder gluten-free bread is so expensive. Well, that's one of the reasons, <laughs> yeah. quite honestly, is the yeah. difficulty in baking it consistently. So really pay attention to the ingredients you bring in the door. Wow. Learn the testing that's necessary and perform that testing religiously. And that will save you dollars on the back end. That is really sound advice. And, you know, and then if you're not set up to do all that testing, make it part of your C of A, make it part it of the spec coming into the door that you're getting the product you need so that it works with you the way you want it to. Right? Um, and I'm always an advocate for this. Put it on the manufacturer, Put let them help control that spec. I'm happy to help do that. So <laughs> reach out to me and we'll get on the phone with these manufacturers together. <laughs> I'll explain it to him very, very concisely. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you like you're a four-year-old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Chadwick, this has been wonderful chatting with you. Is there anything that I haven't covered that you would like to share or tell us about that is important to you or to the, to our audience? Gosh, I would, you know, just to be somewhat silly, eat more hemp. You know, what I'm very excited about is the fact that Hemp is gaining more and more acceptance. We're no longer looking at it as this problematic ingredient. I'm finding that more and more all the customers that I bring this up to are, are very accepting of it. But when you really look at the nutritional value, it is tremendous. And especially as we, as a society, make more and more advancements towards reducing the amount of animal products that we eat, yep. it's a wonderful alternative. And it's amazing for the environment at the yep. same time. You know, I've heard it said that one acre of hemp sequesters five times more CO2 than a corresponding acre of trees. So, wow, yeah, you know, it's really a great product and it has lower water usage, not totally zero, obviously, but, uh, you know, environmentally, it's a very sound crop. Please. I would encourage farmers to look at it as an alternative. And we definitely are trying to push the demand on the food side that uh, substantiates the need for it. Demand the right types of hemp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, most people have the opinion that hemp is green and yeah. bitter and non-functioning. But when you handle it properly, the protein itself is white in color, just slightly sweet and nutty. Mm -hmm. and I love the sweetness of it. Yeah. I worked on a, a concept item for a trade show when I was still with ADM. I like to clown around a bit and have fun with my job and, and stuff. And so what was popular at the time were donuts that were cooked on a waffle machine and then deep fried, things like that. And so we put lots of hemp into the waffle batter so that we got a good source of protein and, and fiber in that. And so we called them whoa nuts. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so we were having it. fun with it, right? Have, of course, there is no THC at all in hemp. It's a completely Correct. different plant, as similar as it appears. It, things have changed a lot. And I thank you for being part of that change and helping to drive this change and, and that we see the benefits and the nutrition and the enjoyment of help uh, because your products, you know, they look fantastic and looking forward to the opportunity to get a chance to taste some of them soon. Yeah. Well, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Yeah, so absolutely. I need, yeah. I need to get you some samples and yeah. uh, you'll see they're very clean. The flavors are, are very, very clean, very reminiscent of wheat, actually. Mm -hmm. In many cases, you put them side by side and the average person would have a hard time telling. Thank you once again, Chadwick. It's been really fantastic chatting with you and then looking Likewise. forward to catching up with you some more in the future to see how things uh, develop and progress and, and stuff with your opportunities.
I hope you found that as interesting and entertaining as I did. Chadwick really has some fantastic products on the go. You should check it out on their website. It's really interesting progress that is taking place there. That's it for this episode of Baked in Science, and I will see you all in the next one.